The following audio may contain coarse language and other material that may not be suitable for a younger audience. Viewer discretion is advised. Also, we may spoil anything and everything, so you have been warned. I'm Jack Newman. And I'm Sean Solis. And welcome to the Movie Gang Podcast. This week, we have absolutely nothing to do with movies. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to review The Witcher this week. The Witcher, the Netflix television series, is technically not, I guess, yeah, you play it on televisions. Yeah, who cares? Uh, It's not a a quote-unquote airing series. I don't know why I'm making this distinction. Anyways, uh, we're going to be reviewing the te- the Netflix, the Witcher series. It's been games, it's been books, it's been two TV series now, but it's never been a movie, so I don't even really have a, a, a string here to stretch out to say why the Movie Gang re- cast is reviewing this, so I don't know. We wanted to review it, because... Uh, yeah, we just did. <laughs> How are you, Sean? I'm good, man. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this thing. Uh, Netflix in their you know evil but infinite wisdom (laughs) i feel like came out with this at the perfect time like right as soon as game of thrones ended you know i guess it's like a couple months later and i'm like oh shit i really need a good like fantasy series that i can binge right uh and then it's like ah we got the witcher and i like vaguely remembered this um you know as a video game right when we were in college because i think it was the witcher 2 was was really popular at the time and um i just remember that i, I don't like i have really no idea like what the what the game was about but i just remember it had like fucking phenomenal graphics and that was like the draw that everyone was into <laughs> um but uh yeah it, it's, it's kind of funny because like as soon as i started watching you know the first episode of this it kind of felt like a video game to me right like he gets attacked by a monster as he's like in a pond and then he literally just goes on like quests every episode and you know the episodes are kind of like tangentially connected but they really can kind of stand alone as as their own um so it just like kind of felt like i was back in that video game world which is fun yeah, it's it's interesting to me because the the production history of The Witcher is interesting in and of itself because the original novel, uh, The Witchers or The Witcher, the quote unquote The Witcher series or the first one in the series, which is Andrew Sapkowski's uh, Sapkowski apologies, this, his name is Polzus. Uh, it's Andrej Sapkowski. Uh, You're killing me, bro. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I really deeply am. Uh, he's known for The Witcher series, pr- primarily the sort of Destiny and the Last Wish. Uh, and then it got adapted into three video games, The Witcher, The Witcher 2, and then The Witcher 3. I don't remember their subtitles. Uh, but the point is, he's it got adapted into the games. And it's fun to me that this series splits the difference between inducting story elements from the Sapkowski novels, but also probably keeping to the spirit that CD Projekt Red did in making its Geralt in the games. And I think that is my core thing that I love the most about this series, is that uh, they, uh, or Henry Cavill has done the best of his abilities to deeply capture the spirit of Geralt, which is one of the things that I think a lot of people like about that games is that unlike in a lot of self-insert media, Geralt is very much a real character in the games and they have done a long way. I mean, he's, he's, I mean, he's a taciturn character cause he's still a player character, but they've done a lot in just his grunts and they've captured that really well <laughs> here with like Henry Cavill going, there's soup, there's like remixes of him grunting on fucking YouTube <laughs> That are amazing. Let me, oh let me read the overview real fast summary right here that I have for it, just so that we have something. The Witcher follows the story of Geralt of Rivia, a solitary monster hunter who struggles to find his place in a world where people often prove more wicked than monsters and beasts. Geralt of Rivia is a witcher, a mutant with special powers who kills monsters for money. Just to make sure we know what a witcher is. Is that that's it? Yeah, that's just that. That's the, okay. That's the official. That's actually. Well, no, that's IMDb's. Okay, there was more. That's my bad. Uh, where people uh, so often. Yeah, no, that's IMDb's thing. There's nothing more of it. Okay. It's, 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 they're it's not a, wrong. It's really poorly written. I mean, there's not, nothing. None of that was unfactual. It was just maybe like, you know, maybe maybe somebody could have used an edit pen over the fact of that. That's the official release thing, by the way, too, from Netflix. So you know. Yeah. You know, what was really interesting about this series to me is, uh, well, just to, to kind of uh, to, to sidetrack on, on fucking what's his name, uh, Henry Cavill. It, I just the first time he like comes in the first episode, 
I just like I, I, I'm in my mind he's Superman, right? So I'm just expecting right. him right. to like be Superman and have like the same mannerisms as Clark Kent and his like American accent. And then he like comes out with this like I don't even know what the fuck it is, but it's like it's not like a Cockney accent, but it's just like this very like kind of uh, like no yeah he's literally he's, yeah he's Superman doing Batman. It's and great. I'm just like what the fuck like what's happening. Um, but you know what you, you like after after a couple episodes I like started to roll with it um, even though you know in my mind he is still Superman so I, I guess that's one of the challenges they probably faced in, in, in trying to like make Geralt come to life but I think they actually succeeded with that I thought he did a really nice job overall as, as yeah. Geralt um, yeah. one of the things that was kind of weird to me as I was getting into it is there's, there's just a lot of different storylines in the show so you know there's Geralt's character and then I think in the second episode, like Yennefer comes into play and there's the, um, you know, there's, there's Princess Cirilla and, and her storyline at Sintra. And I'm just like, wait a minute. Like I, it wasn't very clear to me at the beginning, like how all of these are like interrelated and what the differences in the timelines are. Um, so I'm just kind of rolling with it. Um, but it, it took, it took a while, at least a couple episodes for me to kind of figure out, you know, how everything played into, into, into one another. Yeah, the confusing element here is that the a lot of the game's storyline was not adaptable because a lot of it stems around the fact that Geralt at some point loses his memory. And thus for a lot of the games, he's free of like his long-term relationships to Triss Marigold and Yennefer of Vingenberg to that are exist in the book to bang whoever he wants, Witcher-wise, depending on the player's choices in the game. So that's right. the, the more <laughs> the first game. The more the first game. This the second, especially the third game really do a lot better by relationships but very much so in the first witcher game it's there's like a collector's card you get when you bang a witch that's just the <laughs> thing that happens so like let's not let's not sugarcoat the first game which is just to say that um the books on the other hand one of the interesting things about the books is that the first one that i believe is published in this series there's the main witcher saga which is the sword of destiny blood of elves time of contempt baptism of fire the tower of swallow the lady of the lake and season of storms that's the main series it's all the first book that was released was kind of like his Hobbit, Andrew Sepikowski's, which is a collection of short stories about the Witcher, which is the interesting thing is that this series is trying to set up the broader Witcher series by having Cirilla be a character in it, while also trying to deliver on all those Witcher short stories at the same time, which is that we have this weird thing where there is a core underlying narrative uh, <laughs> Sean's showing me a bottle of something. Uh, he's about to drink, so let's see if we can. We got to. We got to hurry through this episode so he's not dead. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, there's a core underlying element where you have Cirilla is continuing with her story. We're also getting backstory that's existed in No Witcher media about Yennefer of Vingenberg, which is to say that. The backstory is correct, but it's never been depicted in any other Witcher's media. So we're getting more of her backstory as well interlaced with a lot of the short stories, specifically short stories like, uh, I forget what her name is. Uh, the first, uh, the seven, uh, snow white's interpretation character. Um, the lady who gets killed in the first episode. <laughs> oh, Oh, um, ran free. Renfrey, right? Because she's a she. The, the thing that Andrew Sapkowski did, because he even predates, he even predates. Uh, what? Who is it? Uh, uh, Neil Gaiman, who did mm. Snow Glass Apples, which is the famous re Snow White reinterpretation where Snow White is the monster. Andrew Sapkowski did that initially with Renfrey because it's, he's she's got a gang of like. You know, there's her seven dwarves, and I think they're actually dwarves in the concept of, or some of them are dwarves in the concept of the book. So I can't remember. I, for for a few reference, I haven't read The Last Wish in like more than ten years. So like I, it, uh, Last Wish came out in 1993. It's a, it's an older book, and it's in, and its editions where it's been translated are actually or hard to come by it sometimes, depending on what time period before the popularity of the games. Yeah. Renfrey, I think, is actually a, a really interesting character because even though she has like kind of a small part and really just appears in the first episode, there's like strangely like a bunch of references back to her. Right. And there's this kind of weird, you know, jealousy between Yennefer and Renfrey, even though like the two characters never meet. Um, yeah, it, and it's that element too, where the butcher Blam Blavikin, like that's kind of his name. Like, it, like it's de there's definitely this element of like Geralt gets to choose who he is that exists in the books as well as in everything else, and kind of the world not being fair. And it's one of those things. It's like the butcher Blavikin and Renfrey to some extent, where 
I, I think it, the question was that he did not feel that he was on the right side of that. I think it's mm-hmm. the element yeah. of that, but he also, he like did, he just did what he needed to do at the time. So I think it happens a little bit differently in the book. Again, I'm not going to go back and tell you exactly how it happens. Cause I don't honestly remember. Uh, so, but at the same time, I think, I think there is this really good thing about the separation here, which is, you know, uh, it represented in all of the media with the Witcher is that, you know, he hunts monsters, but really mankind is the real monster, which is, yeah. I think the element here that is really brought through in the show really well and is reflected in the other two stories as well. Uh, but that said, I think, you know, we'll get into criticisms in a minute, but my primary criticism is that Cirilla's and Yennefer's story are much weaker. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll just I just want to kind of close the loop on Renfrey. Um, so I think I think her essential story is that um, Stregobor, who's like the wizard, right, thinks she's evil because she was born during an eclipse and like actually like went out like killing all of these like children who were born during an eclipse. It was like very very dark. Right, and a um, lot a lot of people. So just for <laughs> referential, a lot of people killed a bunch of children during that time period because there was all these prophecy stuff so it's not it wasn't just struggle but yes you were correct mm-hmm. yeah so you know struggle has essentially been hunting her for you know decades right and you know struggle tries to hire Geralt to to go kill renfrey um he ends up meeting with her. They like hook up in a forest. It's a, you know, like fucking, you know, Henry Cavill, like hooks up with everybody on the show. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's like, yeah. the major, what are you going to do? <laughs> um, but uh, essentially he has this kind of tough decision to make because he says, well, you know, Renfrey, you just need to leave and, you know, let, let go of this, this, you know, fight you have with Struggabor. Um She doesn't do it because she's so set on revenge. And then uh, Geralt goes and like kills you know all of her, I guess dwarves, and then ends up killing yeah. her as well. And, and it's a gang of bandits in this, mm-hmm. uh, but same difference. It's like she has a gang of men, and it also suggests that Renfrey has powers to affect them or mm-hmm. like change their mind about stuff. And it also suggests, to some extent, she almost used it on him as well, or at least Stregobor thinks that it, for as much as it is possible. Yeah, um, but the really interesting point is that at the very end, when Stregobor goes to like try to do an autopsy on her to like figure out like what made her in his mind evil, uh, you know, Geralt is obviously upset with that because he has like a relationship with her. But the townspeople like turn on him and you know basically force him to leave the town, right? Uh, and, even though he did right what what Stregobor wanted ultimately right, at the end, right? So I, I feel like he's haunted by this like throughout the entire series and that really like guides a lot of his actions. And right. even though this is just like a kind of a one-off story where you like don't really see these characters in a meaningful way, like they, you know, Struggle appears again in the show, but not in a meaningful way again. Um, and you're just like, well, what, what was the point of that? But it's, they do a nice job of like coming back to that theme of Geralt just being like, mm, when I kind of didn't make a decision and didn't decide to act like it, it didn't work out well for me. Um, yeah. And it's also, it's also like the same, sorry to interrupt, but it's no. also like, it's also like the same elements, like all the core themes are represented in all the story. And it's the same thing as like Geralt's distance and it plays back in and it comes back more in Vingen when, when Yennefer is somebody who is di- as distant from society as he is in her own way or suggested her own way. I have problems with her story. We'll get to that. Yeah. Do you want to, no, no, go ahead. No, but yeah, but the the point is like she's a foil, and it's one of those things too where his relationship with humanity and being different is the important element of that. And it's also like his his essentially getting with Dandelion is like the same element that ties back into it as well because it's like it's about advertising, <laughs> like, and it's like he's your monster, you can buy him. Like it's like, it was one of those. None of none of the advertising is necessarily you know good as well, but it's you know it's also the fucking mind poison that is that song that you can't get out of your head, which I think is I hate probably so much. the reason this show is successful <laughs> to some extent. Twitter catching on to toss the coin to your Witcher is like to my mind like part of the reason this show is as <laughs> successful as it is because toss a coin to your witcher memes were fantastic there's my favorite one my favorite one is this one where there's like you know watching this about being a millennial like a millennial uh pay for fee worker that's <laughs> just there's a really good tweet about it. i don't know i remember it right off the top of my head god damn it um yeah but but i think i think 
the important thing is that the show keeps consistency of tone because there's so much source material to draw from, but it does the same thing, which is, I think the, the honorable thing here is that it walks the line between all the existing media. Cause it could have picked the Sepikowski books. Cause there's a different show called the Hexer, which was the Polish show that was made about this called the Hexer, which you can go watch. And it has a very, very different tone <laughs> from the show. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. Also, it's, you know, production values for a Polish TV show. So it's, you know, not as good. <laughs> so, but, uh, I, I don't recommend you go watch the Hexer, you know, for any reason, uh, nothing against it. It's, you know, I'm, I, I don't know what the quality of Polish TV on a regular basis is, but that show's not fantastic. Anyways, the point I'm getting at is that, you know, they strike a really nice line, especially with Geralt between those two forms of media. But you were talking about uh, Jennifer Vingerberg. Yeah, yeah. She has a, a, an interesting, a really interesting storyline. And I I might disagree with you a little bit because uh, towards the beginning of the show, I, I thought she had a very weak storyline and I like didn't really understand why she was in the show, to be honest. I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. And there are there are moments where like I really don't understand her motivation, right? Because to to back to backtrack a little bit, so she uh, is kind of born into this rural family, kind of a farming family. She's hunchback, uh, and her father literally sells her for like you know no meaningful amount of money. His, her suggested father. It's also suggested that she's also a bastard for some reason because her life isn't sad enough. Yeah. Um, but please please continue. <laughs> no, but they literally try to they, they give her like this really terrible backstory where she's like essentially nothing. Um but she unbeknownst to her really has like magical powers. So Tesea who is the the witch who essentially controls the realm um you know kind of pays her her either father or um you know adopted father to take her um and then begins training her for you know the, the, the rectress right mm-hmm. and, and it's also there's also this other suggestion too where people allowed like you know there's this thing too where depending on your level of a, you, uh, a lot of different people have magical power but not everybody can control that magical power and the people that can't are turned into eels and tossed into a pool yeah yeah that's true and yeah. like used as a power source essentially it's, yeah. it's like it's like a rough world and it's one of those things too where she she gets mad in a later episode you have to understand that because like she gets really mad it's also there's this weird episode with her where she like goes into a girl's dorm and just like talks to these girls and teaches them forbidden magic and shit for like 30 minutes and i'm like what's happening this is a very different (laughs) show all of a sudden um my my issue with yennefer vingenberg and and it's i I feel bad because i feel like i'm about to insult this female storyline and be like my female friend also doesn't like it what that's kind of what i'm gonna do because (laughs) a lot of my reaction was jaded by katie who was just annoyed by her for a lot of the proceedings the thing that i think was the primary thing that is is that a lot of the series contends with Jennifer's choice being taken away from her when she very specifically knowing the consequences and the guy stops her and says this is going to hurt a lot and also you are going Mm -hmm. to lose the ability to have a child are you sure you want this and then she makes the choice mm-hmm. she acts like her choice is taken from her in such a way and I think they're trying to fit it into a different narrative when structurally they go out of their way to insist that her choice is very clear and it's one of those things that kind of bothers me in terms of like I don't necessarily enjoy the, them making a my choice was stolen narrative choice mm-hmm. yeah when, no. when when they when they literally they spend a lot of moment on the act of the choice and at least the guy that's doing it to her she's actively like forcing him to come and do it I mean she's not forcing him but she's like he's like I, he's like I don't want to do it and he's like you're gonna do it and I'm gonna do it you know without this it's like it's so dramatic and also like she clearly did this for herself. Oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, I, I like, I, I get it a little bit. So to, to back up, essentially, what happens is she like finishes her witch training, and the whole point of you know to say a training all these women to become witches is so they can go into the court right, of right, right. various you know royals and advise them essentially. Um, but anyway, she like finishes her training at the very end. Um, she's like hunchback, right? So they give her the opportunity to become beautiful again. But the the cost of doing that is that you're not able to bear 
children. Right. Um, and they gratuitously rip out her womb and mm-hmm. then crush it and paint her face with her womb dust. Yes. But that's that happens. I that that and also let's just be honest. A womb, if you take out somebody's womb, it doesn't look like a womb. Like when you pull it out, like because it's like you have to pull out their tubes and stuff. All right, all right, we're no womb shape. I just when when he crushes the womb and it looks like a womb, I was like, that shit's gratuitous, guys. It was definitely gratuitous, but I mean that's the show, right? Uh, Um, Gratuity is clearly the show. Yeah, (laughs) like ever since Game of Thrones, that's like the direct we're moving in which i don't know if i like fully support it but i like get that's where they're going um and you have other shows like fucking you know uh spartacus on stars like contributing to this but oh spartacus yeah. is so much worse yeah spartacus, oh yeah that's like so that's much, a low point so much like butt rape in that show yeah just like gratuitous like on female butt rape there's like there's that one where they literally are like talking and having a conversation and he just like grabs a slave by the by the collar and like rapes her butt yeah and, it, and i just i remember seeing that scene and like looking i was like the actress does not look comfortable she does not clearly this that actress is not comfortable with what's happening because she's she's like her neck is depressed she's choking like the, like, the worst thing without without like going too far into this the like the worst, the time the worst thing method. yeah the worst thing about spartacus was that it like came out in 2010 so it was like pushing the envelope so far yeah. for like the time period, and yeah. I was just the entire time I watched it, I was just like, I was, I feel like I was just like, hold on, hold on. it was just it was fucking scarring. I'm just like, Jesus fucking Christ, like every yeah. scene. It, it, it's, it's. I think, I think Spartacus did everybody a disservice because I feel like Game of Thrones felt the need to push the envelope after Spartacus, which is why we live, we we like end up with some like gratuit with other gratuitous things. Not that rape isn't something that shouldn't be explored in medieval things, but definitely like, you know, after anime like Goblin Slayer, I'm like, we don't need to see anything like. Oh, yeah, because I feel like the first season of Game of Thrones was like it, it was by far. Well, in my view, it, it by far like pushed the envelope more than like the rest of the seasons. And then right. after Game of Thrones took off and they realized that it could be a successful show just based on the source material and like the existing fan base. They decided that they were going to like be more faithful to the source material because like oh. there was never a scene in Game of Thrones book one to be clear unless I'm like completely misremembering the first book where um, you know Littlefinger's monologuing wall there's like a lesbian sex scene happening behind him (laughs) I will will make the argument that the addition in the show of the prostitute character who goes to seek her fortune in King's Landing by giving her agency and having the women kiss and it being part of prostitution or at least positivity, him talking about power and them seeking power through their profession. In retrospect, I think the original sex position monologue is actually quite good. And actually like, at least in the context of sexual exploitation, like positive. I think mm. and that's one of the things too. I think, I think, I think I understand too more why that's become the, the standard by which we look back to sex exploitation and we make jokes about it, but I think the reason it has endured as the moment is because we all, when we think about that scene, we're like, that was funny, right? Like that, that was, it was like, it's both funny and also narratively important and also like narratively important titillation. And it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, we, we, we might make fun of it, but I think that that, it's probably the most positive instance of that thing that's ever going to happen, which I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Bringing it back to The Witcher, though, um, I, I will I will take, you know, disagree with you a little bit on, on Yennefer. And I think no, your, yeah, point, your point's valid. But um, what I found was interesting about her character is I, I like I, I think she I think you're right. Like she absolutely like made the decision that she wanted to be beautiful as a result of a bunch of like really unhealthy influences right you have right. to say saying like this is how things are supposed to be you have her uh relationship with a Strigobor student who you know essentially he's like spying on her um so there's like there's a bunch of different things like her her, her upbringing there's a bunch of different things that i think are like pushing her to you know essentially make that decision and like this is like the path that i'm supposed to be on with that said I think after she like gets to like live the dream in quotes, like she finally like is able to achieve like what she thought she wanted to achieve. She, you know, becomes really disillusioned with that, right? So she leaves the court, 
she essentially becomes like a rogue witch, like just roaming the countryside, you know, doing various things, you know, trying to like kill this dragon. Um, and I think it's it's not that she, you know, made a decision and then she is like saying, you know, I, I you know, she's not doing an about face, but I think right. I think she she her she, her character evolves right. So I think I think that's the reason she ultimately it, decides. It that- does evolve. I find I think I, I'm not disagreeing that there isn't an intended character arc. I'm saying in effect, like her being the carriage transition to her saving the baby is painful. That that carriage scene is like, and now we have none of the previous characters, and it's just through like kind of a, an aside conversation she seems bored with that we discover that she's tired with court, mm-hmm. and then by extension we have the chase scene, which is in itself cool, but also then she runs and then comes back, and then everybody dies anyways. It it just feels semi painful. It also doesn't give a. I have a problem with that scene because all of a sudden she just has the power to kill the bug, and so like it's just one of those things too where it's just I just find that sequence really painful and it's an important sequence in the transition of her character I'm not saying that the points aren't done I'm saying like it's an element of the storytelling and, and possibly all the elements is like Siri treats her friend that she discovers very very poorly through the series and I think that's because the storyline is hopping around and it implies more time in both stories than we see. Like, like, you know, Dandelion says an offhand line that implies that between the last story that we see Dandelion is it's been five years in the timeline of the show. Mm -hmm. And that, and that's, and that's like one of those, that's like one of those little intense elements right there where it's like the timelines are so skewed. Geralt's timeline is crazy, but it makes sense because it doesn't matter where Geralt is in the timeline until the very end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That said, Yennefer is kind of more a sequence of events. The Yennefer is not shown out of order, and I think that's a problem. Yeah, she kind of drives. She drives the timeline. Um, exactly. She's you know. actually the core element of the timeline because you never know where the fuck series is because series always in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it doesn't make sense. So yeah, I I mean I think that's I think that's fair. Um, I, I would just say that, like, I think her, her like, ultimate character arc has – there's a lot of payoff with her character. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I agree, too. At the, I, and that's the thing, too, is, like, I want to – like, what I'm saying is, like, I'm not not there at the end. Mm-hmm. Yennefer Vingenberg is a great character, and specifically in the games, and I think that they've pulled that character. And I think, actually, the actress is doing a very fair book of representing her. They're doing the Casino Royale thing, however, of they got to get her there. Mm-hmm. And that's a hell of a thing to – and it's just like Casino Royale. It's like it's a hell of a thing to go from newbie to jaded ancient lady real fast, and they got to do some some like shenanigans. And I'm like, I'm, I don't always buy it. Yeah, I do sure. buy. I, I I will. I lovingly love the first meeting, and, and people have complained about it, the first meeting between Yennefer, like with the because that's actually a story that's in Last Wish is when she tries to chat, capture the djinn, and then she uses Geralt to go like spank people in the middle of town. She like controls his mind and sends him out to like literally spank a dude in the middle of town and he gets arrested. It's perfect. Oh, this is the uh, Striga episode. That's, uh, yeah, yeah, same thing with the Striga. Yeah. The Striga is in every version of Geralt, like every the Striga, and it's literally, one of the things I love about that fight too is right down to his spinning chain thing, it's just like the intro to the video game you can go watch the intro right now and Geralt will literally do this will do the spinning chain thing the only thing is that the Geralt in the game looks way more in control of the situation than the Cavill did which is really funny I, I, I think it's a good fight I also do want to comment that that Striga fight is way too dark uh, but I think that uh, it's better because Netflix has a little bit better handle of darks and blacks and how they put them on TV screens still too dark and also I wish it was just cut to itself and wasn't intercut with the scene that I said before that I felt was a little bit gratuitous uh, or the Unifor transformation scene. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I would, I would say that probably like the streak episode followed by um, of bastards banquets and burials, which is kind of the law of surprise episode where like, that was, Oh my God. I was just like, that's like kind of the point where I like fell in love with the show. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. just like, oh my god, this is so good. Um, they're just Calanthe, Calanthe, and her court are just a lot of fun unto <laughs> themselves. You know, like 
Calanthe is just, it's just nice to see a badass bitch queen and just like walk in and just, but still kind of be that classic man gross, like, give me a beer. Like, it's just, it's, uh, she's just so fun, too. And you can tell that. <laughs> yeah. And then I love how she's still in like the other episodes. Everybody's like, yeah, she's a racist elf killer. And I'm like, yeah, damn. <laughs> Show's coming for me. <laughs> I would have followed her to kill them elves. Like, I don't know. <laughs> that's dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially when you compare them to, um, you know, the king in the prior episode uh, in the um, in the street episode. Kalanti uh, is just such a fucking cool character, and you know, you're even though you you know like what happens to her, and I think I think that's kind of like the brilliance of it. Um, yeah, I, I think I do think I like that. Like structuring an episode on the basis of little did they know is always a great way to do things. I think the cross cutting in Yennefer makes no sense. Cross cutting in Geralt because he's he's episodic and it works really well is fun. Mm-hmm. I wish, I wish it's just weird to have two through line storytelling things, two stories we need to keep track of, and then an episodic story. And I think it it robs the episodic story, which I still think I still think Geralt's episodic based story is the best story of the three timelines. Series the weakest, and and I think there's can be I can argue with you about Jennifer Vingerberg. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, I I accept that you had a very different experience in viewing her. And I agree that the final character that we get out of the experience or her epic her storytelling is good. And the final fight with her at the castle's f- fine. Yeah. You got to tell me that was pretty weak, though. Yeah, it, it was cool. I mean, I, I like I kind of I was, you know, it, it was I think they, they like closed the circle on her because, you know, they she like finally was able to like really become like this powerful character. And at the beginning, right, she was just like this nothing character who was sold for, <laughs> you know, pennies <laughs> to this like random witch on the street because her her parents didn't value her in, in any way. So, I mean, I'm like, at the end of the day, like, that's, it's, it's, it's just, that's like the completion of her character. So I like appreciate that in, in the sense, but yeah, I mean, the, I don't know. I mean, the, the, in terms of like the actual, like way they constructed the fight scene, it was fine. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, it was what it was. Yeah. I, I think that's the other issue too, with this piece is that I, I probably like about, I really like about 30%, 33%, 33% of this story (laughs) because I really like Geralt and I think Henry's Cavill's depiction of Geralt is perfect. I think the Jennifer Vingenberg story leaves a lot to be desired in terms of like it feels like it kind of drags about and I think that's just because of how it's broken up over the course of the the series because it seems broken up at weird points is kind of my more take. It feels like it has false endings, false beginnings to try to cut it up into bite-sized bits that we can consume and the series story is just bad and broken how so like what like the the overall arc uh siri herself is annoying and doesn't learn oh. anything from how she treats the elves brokelon forest is essentially just a fucking stop on the way uh the dude, the, the like the weird, the guy is a is not the protagonist in that story is weird too, and the protagonist like the the, uh, the like the fucking shape changer is weird. It doesn't really make sense. It's fun when she ties into the rest of the story. Siri and the or Siri under Calanthe is great. Yeah, like, oh, Siri I, making jokes of the things. It's like she's that story's fine. And when she's fleeing the castle, all good and all good and hunky dory. I'm just saying like. It, this is an eight episode series baby and for seven of them she's walking around a forest i yeah no i totally agree i thought i thought you you said like the series itself was overall week which i would disagree with you on but i totally agree with I, you on like dude like Siri, i said i watched character. it twice i like this series <laughs> i just like about 30 to 40 percent of it <laughs> like, yeah and that's, no, and that's I, a re- I really like that 30 to 40 percent i yeah. really am here for it yeah i think if the whole thing just becomes a progressive singular timeline thing when they inevitably make more of this, I will be very, very happy. <laughs> like, I was like, and because it's not like Geralt needs to be episodic, but just having him and Siri go on adventures and Siri grow into a badass Witcher girl herself, like she does in the rest of the series, it's going to be pretty good. And then we'll have Vesemir and it's going to be Mark Hamill, apparently, and that'll be oh. awesome. 
Nice. Because Mark Hanel said he wanted to play Vesemir on Twitter, and I'm like, wish somebody's ass like, should jump. Yes, up. hire that man. <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree with you on Siri. Like she, like her, her best moments were like the first episode <laughs> and the last episode, and you know yeah. there wasn't. I get that you know she's like running around in the forest the whole time, and she becomes kind of. They try to make her into like this Arya character who, because of like all the hardships she endures, becomes yeah. like this like really tough character at the end. But I'm not sure they like sell that as well as they do in Game of Thrones. So I'm like I'm not I'm not really buying it by the end where you know her and Geralt like meet up and they've been they just like they 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 try to like build it up like this huge deal the entire show where you know Geralt and Ciri get together and this is like his destiny and there's like going to be huge things that happen. And then it's basically like, and we'll talk about that in season two, <laughs> which, you know, it's yeah. fine. But if you're going to build that up so much without like any payoff in this season, that that kind of creates yeah. a problem. It's also a problem. It's it's a problem because like Andrew Sepikowski books, there's they 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 reach towards and, and it's not it's a good thing because they reach towards Polish, uh, essentially Polish like stories and use them as a background. I said like The Witcher is like a Polish tale. The the bit that's fine about that that's different a little bit is that there is a bigger sense of importance on destiny, definitely in the books. Like people treat destiny a little mm-hmm. bit different. Oh, yeah. That's how you have something like a law of surprise, which just seems like an insane law. Yeah. The hand of it like it was one of those things too where it's like you know when we were talking about the law like I, I the first time i read the law of surprise and the last wish and then by extensions and that became it's a sh- the law of surprise calanthe's court is essentially a short story in the last wish that becomes incredibly important for the rest of the series um because it's that what siri comes from it, and it's weird just this this notion that she's just like oh and now i own this child <laughs> like, that's just <laughs> such a weird dumb law and when i read those books i was like they never could make this into a movie or a television show because no american audience is going to under fucking stand the point of law of surprise because like I, I like it was one of those things where i read it in the book didn't understand it looked and had to go to like wikipedia and i was like what the fuck is this <laughs> who are all these polish people giving away their fucking children in the 16th century what the fuck like you know it's fine it's like i said it's fine it's a it's a different cultural thing but it 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 is definitely like a motivating factor in this book that you cannot like strike over and it's just really funny to me (laughs) the fucking contact is just so funny to me because like it's one of those things too now well the average twitter user knows what the law of surprise is (laughs) and that's the thing this show is so massively popular that everybody knows what the witcher is now and the law of surprise it wasn't even the popularity of the fucking video games that did that that's crazy it's hilarious because um it's funny because I was just saying that like of Bastard of Banquets, Bastards and Burials is like one of my favorite episodes in the in the whole show. And that's like where they introduce the concept of the law of surprise. But there's no way that unless you are Polish, I suppose, or if you like look up that concept that you would know what it would mean. Like no one goes into the show knowing like what the law of surprise means. Um, and for those who don't know that from from uh from what wikipedia says uh the law of surprise is a custom as old as humanity itself (laughs) the law dictates that a man saved by another is expected to offer his savior as a boon whose nature is unknown to one or both parties so essentially um it's a weird fucking episode but essentially series mother um uh, is is like saved it's like a weird deal but there's like a there's a fucking um i don't even know like what 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 animal is he i uh, like he's like a porcupine isn't he porcupine yeah yeah so she he's she's saved by this like porcupine character and like interrupts like the the, the this ball that's happening where um you know Siri's mother is basically you know she has a bunch of suitors who are coming up to like woo her and ultimately, like, this porcupine character comes up at the end and is like, uh, because, uh, you know, I, like, I saved you this one time. Uh, like, I, you know, I am entitled to your to your hand. Um, and Calante refuses this. And it's like, the idea is because she, like, refuses destiny, she ultimately, like, causes, um, you know, this and, other this other city to, like, and, and, and take over. 
Yeah, I don't know how much to spoil here because in the game, the, the main character who's coming to take her is Emery or like the, the porcupine guy is the head of Nilfgaard by this time period. Right. And then, and then he comes to claim Siri. And then in some endings of the game, Siri becomes the head of, you know, the Empress of Nilfgaard and all sorts of stuff. Like, like it, it, it it's, it's definitely, coll- co- and I don't mean to drop spoilers because for some reason the actor is different who plays the porcupine man than the guy who's coming from Siri, who we never confirm though highly suggest is the emperor of Nilfgaard. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he's blonde and why they're trying to cover that element up, but, uh, yeah, I've probably done a horrible job of like explaining what the fuck. No, 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 it's, it's, no, no, no. The witcher, <laughs> the witcher is a very complicated series. And, and that's the thing too. Is like, you know, like I said, I've read these books. I know what happens. It, <laughs> it defies like a five minute explanation of what the fuck happens. And also the fact that it, like a lot of it has to do with destiny and, and, and the show to understand characters actions. Sometimes you have to understand a lot of characters are acting off their interpretation of destiny, which is probably more than anyone on Twitter wants to hear because everybody would just wants to hear on Twitter how Henry Cavill wore out his, his leather suit, four times because his muscles were so fucking ripped that he would rip his leather suit or the fact that he wasn't allowed to drink water on set because he had to be dehydrated for all his sexy man scenes. And so they literally put him in a bathtub of water. And in between the seasons, he was like licking at his own bath water because he was so thirsty because he literally said for the camera that he could smell water. He was so dehydrated. Jesus. <laughs> this sounds yeah, terrible. It's one of those things that if you if you guys are looking back, like go watch Conan the Barbarian and then watch the Witcher. The Witcher looks like Henry Cavill looks so much more ripped than Conan. It is a fact that Arnold Schwarzenegger and Conan the Barbarian is infinitely more ripped than the Witcher. The reason he looks that sexy is because that's the new Marvel thing. It's like the Captain America's. It's like the bigger thing now is that people's heavily dehydrate and muscle build before their scenes and just look like that. If you go and watch Conan, Conan looks like chunky. Like he always looks like he's muscular as all fuck, but he looks like muscular chunky. And that's because he wasn't dehydrating for that role because <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger didn't think he could dehydrate and act at the same time. Surprise act. <laughs> Sorry, like I love Arnold Schwarzenegger in the movie. Don't take that wrong. He's just not like winning an Oscar in Conan the Barbarian, the first one, definitely. Like let's just let's just admit that. I don't know if that's like hurtful or something, but whatever. The po- the point is is like he he's in that movie and it's one of those things where he is like as fucking ripped as you could possibly be, but he didn't dehydrate, so he looks chunky by comparison to fucking in this movie, yeah. And Henry Cavill probably has like half the muscle mass of Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> and Conan. But you you wouldn't know by looking at it other than the fact that the two people next to Conan the Barbarian look fucking tiny. And they're not tiny. They're actually like regular sized people. He's just fucking massive. Anyways, muck of slab a man. And that's the other thing too. The two people, he, they, the two people they get, it's, that's always the funny thing. I, like, I figure the two people they get to fight Conan and Conan the Barbarian in the first movie are just two guys that they were like found off the streets. Like, who's this fucking as big as fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay, that guy over there. Okay, put him in a suit and we'll just like have him swing a sword at him. Whatever. <laughs> so a, a, question, a question for you is I, I was curious to get your take on um, so we know what happens with um, Sintra, right? And then at the yeah. very end, they like catch up to that storyline because we're basically following you know, for a storyline the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And she, right, she, like, leaves court and, like, goes on this, like, she's, there's a couple episodes where she's, like, hunting dragons and doing random shit and, like, meets up with Geralt. And then the very end, um, Taseya, of all people, is like, oh, my God, like, Nilfgaard's about to, like, take over Sintra. Like, we need to get all the mages together. And... Which- that we need to like feels defend. out of character for Taseya, but let's come back to that. That's the thing is that like the whole it, like it kind of feels out of character for both Taseya and for Yennefer in my view because she is kind of portrayed as this like selfish character, right? Or all the witches are right, which is like fairly justified, I think, for Yennefer because of right. like her upbringing and like all the shit she had to go through with Taseya, and she's essentially being like she's basically been like abused all her life, right? right? So it's like fair for her to be like selfish at this point in time but the fact that she like makes this character turn is like oh yeah like we're gonna go defend Sintra against you know the Nilfgaardians and um, Fringilla 
I, di- I just didn't I didn't quite get that piece. Yeah, to say uh, it seems really weird for them to go stand against an army and almost certainly die. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? It seems really weird, especially as portrayed as the witches are in this universe of being like manipulative and. And not manipulative, not so much manipulative. They definitely steer the course of nations by being by the side of kings and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's, I think that's personally good. I, I like that element. I like how they're like, yeah, they're fucking magicians. Like, of course, kings would want to have them and stuff like that, or they would be very distrustful and stuff like that. And I, uh, and and I think that's pretty cool. I think. It just doesn't – it's like a weird – it's also also like – I think the other thing too is there's so many dropped plot threads in this series. Strugaboard never has a point <laughs> is kind of a problem because he's kind of a core villain that just makes bad shit happen that the characters have to deal with. And then he like walks away and I'm like, why did you do that, Strugabor? And I'm like, why are you not not helping Nifgard? Like, what's the what's the plan here, no Strugabor? Uh, <laughs> and, and there's never like there's never like no like there's never like scene where Strugabor gets like a like a handful of gold or something from that he would like a handful of gold or like some ancient talisman he's wanted all along that like is given to him <laughs> from a guy from Nilfgaard. Like that never happens. And so it's it's like one of those things too. It's just like. It's very hard for me not to see the whole fight scene with Yennefer and by the by the by the notion also too I'm just tying this back into my disagreement with the Yennefer plotline of her plotline being brought to a climax by just the notion that they needed to have a climax. Yeah. Or at least it's 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 my it's my this is me like as a scriptwriter saying I call bullshit on that whole scene. And I think I think that's and maybe that's maybe that's me being and I'm happy to say this too because like in the new year it's being it's my it's my New Year's resolution that I want to be able to say that like I am a grumpy film reviewer now like I'm not a grumpy film viewer anymore I'm a reviewer and I review enough content now that I realize that I'm not able to enjoy things like Star Wars just tangentially <laughs> yeah I mean you make a, you make a good point I, I feel like the the missing pieces they don't really fill out to say as motivation enough for me to because she's like the one who's leading the charge on like we have to go defend Sintra and like all these other you know yeah and maybe what it is and I, I don't know they just didn't explain it well enough is like she's so tied to this idea that you know the mages the witches are going to go out and like help out these kingdoms and she like feels and, very and- loyal to like all these students that she's trained Right. And it's like if one of them is like taking over the whole world, then like kind of the whole power structure devolves and, and she like doesn't have power anymore. Right. right. And, and, and I want to and I want to point this out in the context of the games, that content is really brought out in stark relief because it, I'm just I'm saying like I'm not giving the show the benefit of the doubt because I don't think it provides me that information, especially from like looking at Katie, who hasn't played any of the games. She's like, what the fuck's happening? For me, I played the games and know the content. There's a lot of the reason that no one wants Nilfgaard to come up there is because if the if Sintra falls to Nilfgaard, then all the northern nations are fucked because Sintra was like the most powerful frontier against Nilfgaard. And so essentially if Sintra falls, everybody else is fucked. And and that's the thing, is that's the context for most of the games, is that Sintra has already fallen, and then there it's Temeria that's gonna be next for the chopping block for most of the games. Uh by that same token, too, Radovan is a different king in a different area who just has purges on the witches. And it really well established, the game is really well established that, like, the witches are very powerful, but they're limited in the amount of power that they can actually throw around. A dude in the night with a knife can very easily come in and, like, fucking knife a bitch, you know? So it's, it's like... They're powerful until they're not, and that's the point of the witches in the game is that, like, it, they care about the politics of it because Radovan has, like, legit witch burnings and, like, kills people and, like, impales them and puts them on bridges and stuff. And a lot of the witches in this series get impaled. And that's that's the background context that I think everybody's legitimately scared of is that, like, a lot of witches get killed. Um, which, I you know looking at the power that they wield in the portals and the fact that they can just portal places and like the witches in this universe are incredibly powerful. And by extension, like, you know, 
Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, all the points you make, I think, are very valid ones. Um, I would just say that I kind of overlooked them, and this is I like I, I, oh, I totally I, think, I totally admit yeah. this because like the world they create and like the characters they create in it are like the world is just fucking awesome. Like the way they like structured this world was very lovingly done, I think, and especially like having it so close to like when Game of Thrones ended, like being back in this world. I feel like after the eight episodes, I was like completely immersed in it, and I was like just it was it was kind of fun to like be back in you know this kind of medieval fantasy world um and you know and i think it was well acted too like even though they could have like filled out some of the characters and their motivations a little bit more particularly um to say at the very end and in 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 certain parts like yennefer for sure um yeah generally speaking i thought it was well acted and they like they executed like the the story arc that i think they were trying to do right so i thought it was effective in that sense i think Okay, so let's let's let me try to explain myself here. I think it is the series as a whole is not effective from a gross perspective of what happens. And I think the difference here is that like I think that there is parts of it that are incredibly I think that I think this is the perfect example of a series with really high highs and really low lows. Do you know what I mean? I think that's the difference. I think we we this series is like not something I necessarily recommend because like it it draws the bounds between perfection and tear an absolute shit pile and i think i think that's the problem for me is like and it's really funny too because it, it, i was really hopeful in the episode where fucking dandelion uh yennefer and Geralt are on like the fu- the dragon hunt episode mm-hmm. like that's the one like it's probably not the best episode but them just them just doing their interpretation of harry ron and hermione golden trio thing <laughs> is like really fucking solid just from like a comedy perspective like from a comedy perspective the three of them roll through conversation just excellently and it was one of those things where i was like i really I, I, when that happened too i'm tra- rare species yeah the episodes rare yeah. species. there's only there's only two episodes left and i was like if the rest of the series is this i am just excited because <laughs> another thing too is like i kind of want it to happen because like the, the thing that i think is happening next the big thing that i think doesn't matter at the end is that Geralt's end place of running into siri after he gets like wounded is so weak and and it doesn't matter and also his reveal of the mother doesn't matter and i think that's the thing is i think that they lose their way hard at the end of the series and i think it's rough because the other two plot lines needed to complete upon themselves and yennefer's to some extent Yennefer becomes episodic after her initial plot line is done. So it's just series and there's no completion to series plot line, which is the underlying problem through it. And I think that's the problem is like, I'm very concerned because it's like series plot line sucks in Geralt and then the ending sucks. You know what I mean? (laughs) Well, I mean, I think, you you know, obviously we don't know what happens and they've like set that up for the next season. So it's, it's difficult, I think to review the season because like the whole, driving force no, 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 from like no, no. the I very beginning that. i disagree with that they end it they chose to end it there they made an active choice to do that <laughs> all right that's bad. that's fair I, all right that's fine, that's <laughs> and, fine. Then, I, and it's one of the i'm not i'm not like this is one of those things too i i don't know what score i'd fucking put on this thing because i've watched the show twice all the way through twice which i cannot say that of any other show this year yeah other than the good place but the good place is perfect because it's literally a philosophy show. I'm a philosophy major. Like that's just like fucking catnip to me. What the fuck was I supposed to do? I had no defense against that show. <laughs> that show, I, I I could not be objective of that show if I tried. That's the only reason we ever reviewed the good place is that I have no objectivity where that show is concerned. It's a ten. <laughs> it's a ten. Yeah, I've given two tens this year. Oh my god, how does that happen? <laughs> So I, I that's I don't think I've given two tens in a year, but we'll, we'll play. It. No, no, no. First, the first ever ten we've ever I gave a nine point five to Parasite, and they gave ten two tens. So it's technically a perfect. The first perfect ten we've ever given Animania was Parasite. I agree with that. I, I would have if I was there. I would have probably given either a nine point five or a ten. Yeah, it was phenomenal. Yeah. If you were a nine point five, it would have come down though. I think. Oh, actually, no. I think it's two twos. Yeah, it'd still probably be a ten. <laughs> but I'm not giving a nine point seven five to sh- fucking anything. Fuck math. But here's here's what I'll say about this show. Um, you're right. Like they ended in a weird place, and there are certainly issues with 
filling out some of the you know some of the minor characters like background a little bit more and and these are like not small insignificant issues but what is so good about the show is just as i said before like the world they create and just like kind of the interaction and um you know kind of camaraderie that exists between the different characters and it's like almost tarantino-esque i think in that sense because um (laughs) you know like pulp fiction it'd be difficult to explain to you like what the overarching plot of that movie was and i could do it you know but what i really love about that movie is like the interaction between the characters between john travolta and uh, samuel jackson and you know all these characters they meet along the way and um you know the character is very well written like the sequencing is very well done the world that they inhabit is like very lovingly rendered and i feel like not to say that this is like as good as full fiction it's not there's a lot of problems with it but where it succeeds it succeeds in that same way yeah i i, I can buy that i like like i said uh, <sighs> Part of me is uh, never is not sure about my emotions about this show because of like how hurt I was by Game of Thrones and like this is definitely clearly the best contender that's come along to take its place by extension. Um, like like I said, like what what do we took? You know, the only thing that's come close is like Chernobyl, which was a mini series, mm-hmm. and this was uh, this is technically a mini series too. But let's not talk about it. Um, but it's technically gonna it's gonna continue, so it doesn't qualify as a mini series anymore because it was so insanely fucking popular. So there's no way that Netflix isn't like all the money. <laughs> well, it also doesn't end in like a logical place, so like clearly yeah. it's intended yeah. to continue. Um, but to but, be fair, but, now that you raised Chernobyl, like that's an, that's probably another ten that I would have given this year. Like, yeah, yeah. Chernobyl, Chernobyl's a better series than this. Oh yeah, by far. no doubt. Yeah, and, and Chernobyl's a better series than this. And it's one of those things too. I feel like a f- better comparison would be to say that the first season of Game of Thrones is better than this. Hmm. That's a oh, hard. That hurt. That's a hard. That hurt, that's a hard that one hurt for you. me. I figured that was going to be the one that hurt. That was the difference between you and me. I would have. I, I don't know if I have an answer for you right now. I'd have to think about that. It would be very close. Uh, I, I think I will not disagree that it is close, and I think I think that's probably also telling in and of itself that probably in general we recommend this series. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, all right. Let's go. We're at fifty six minutes, so let's go ahead and put some scores on this. So I don't have to keep you all night. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I I just wanted to spend time with your beautiful face sean oh you can't see my face i'm sorry it is beautiful i promise i shaved today (laughs) um Um, anyways so uh, do you want to go first do you want me to go first um i'll I'll go first oh shit okay cool yeah i i i think i would i think i would give this an eight and a half Mm. overall um, and I'm kind of struggling between like an eight, eight and a half. Like I think either of those are fine, but I think it's in like that range. Um, but I'll, I'll go with eight and a half. And the reason why is, and I might be biased just because like this, like the show like came on at a perfect time for me when yeah. like I was like looking for kind of like that Game of Thrones replacement. And I was not really expecting a whole lot from this movie because I was like, I had watched the trailers and they were like super mediocre. And I'm like, I don't really understand like what's happening. This looks really weird. Like Henry Cable has this weird accent, like what's going on. But as you start to get into the series and like these like character relationships um, start to build and they like create this world that you literally after like the second you really even after the first episode i feel like i'm like kind of immersed in this world it's like a really nice job like kind of creating this um you know fantastical like medieval world um it it, i just like it was like very binge worthy um and even though there were like certainly flaws with like some of the character arcs um ultimately i just found the show like very enjoyable it was a great watch and uh, it, it, it came at a good time for me, which like admittedly like might inflate the score for me a little bit, but overall I found this to be a very enjoyable show. I'm very excited for the second uh, season. Uh, this is one of the ones I've, this is probably the most dreaded show to score in that of any show that we've ever reviewed on this podcast. And, and I'll say this, I think the Witcher is a, I think it's, I think this series was an amazing test reel 
to what this series could be. And I think it has a similar vibe to the original show where I think this is, I like multiple timelines and I think this is one of the rare things where they tried to jump the ship by having straightforward timelines and multiple different timelines and it doesn't work. And I think it's the thing is like, I think the creative element of the show of having multiple timelines really is a problem, but it helps it's fine in the context of what the good part of this series is, which is the Witcher's adventures himself are perfect. And also just like the morality of his thing, it comes through. Henry Cavill is really fucking killing it as fucking Geralt. Tris Marigold is great. Jennifer Vingerberg is great. A lot of the characters in this, even to say it a breeze, as confusing as her character arc is, uh, or lack thereof, a character arc is she's it's still a little like, acting. Yeah, it's what. Yeah, she to say it a bit. She is fucking power on screen. Like she's just doing this rectorist thing where she's just like, it's like this sexy McGonagall thing. And I'm like, whoa, oh, Jesus, come on, Jesus, <laughs> you pushed those eel ladies that you fucking didn't tell you were going to turn them into eels and totally stole <laughs> them and literally fucking banished them to a life of being an eel. I, I just whatever. She's she's not like they're not like no one in the series is a good person. It's like the point yeah the the and that's fine i think i think the point here is i do ultimately recommend you watch the witcher knowing full well that i think that it is functionally a broken series in terms of like where the series kind of tries to have elements of like a story because it's episodic it doesn't do things that a series should do there's no rising action to a false defeat and by extension a second act break to like new acts and that's the thing the series is broken up in such a way as to just be episodic on top of two lesser series trying to create that sense of act break that ultimately never reveals itself that ends on a note. It it also by extension ends Geralt's story on a note from a different series that he's not been a part of up till that point that really hurts the story. That said, I I think, and that's the thing I think, I think straight across the board, the series is poorly constructed that said, the force of quality of filmmaking in combination with the force of quality of great character development, because they're as poorly as it plotted and constructed, they've lifted existing characters from a series that is bursting at the seams with characterization. And they draw upon that characterization to create great characters. And by extension, Henry Cavill and his role as the Witcher is fantastic just to watch and experience. And just watching him fight the Striga is worth the price of alone. The whole episode of the Dragon Rant, the Dragon Hunt, is worth the price of extension of worth the price of entry of alone. So it's one of those things too where the series as a whole is so much more as the sum of its parts than as the sum of its whole. The sum of the whole is worthless, and the parts are pretty good. They're, they're, they're actually like quite valuable. So overall, I'm probably going to give it a six, which is still a recommendation for me. I do think I recommend the series. And I think more importantly, I am foaming at the mouth for the sequel to this. Because I think if they put more money into it and they get it just right and it's one continuous timeline, I really, really think this has the opportunity to be the new Game of Thrones, which is something that Netflix sorely leads right now. So I cannot imagine they would not throw 90% of their budget at fucking making this movie. <laughs> but that's my that's that's one man's opinion. Uh, still a 7.5 between the two of us. Which I'm fine with. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For the Movie Gang Podcast, this has been John Solis. It's been fun, guys. And I've been your host, Jack Newman. Head on over to uh, the Movie Gang Podcast. Or no, sorry. <laughs> the Tuscan Shed Media Network. That's the TuscanShed.com where you can check out all other podcasts, including Animania. Uh, this week, we just published our... We're going to publish at the same time of this episode our look forward to the season. You can check out all the new shows coming out. A lot of great stuff. You can... Uh, last week, I think we reviewed a show that was essentially just a hentai with it was, I don't know Funimation isn't even airing it anymore it's crazy uh, you can go check out all that review where we throw away all our credibility it's a great show check that out and also while you're over at TuscanShed.com while you're checking out all our podcasts you can go ahead and click our links there to iTunes where you can give us reviews 
I don't particularly care why you give us a review or not. Just give us five stars. It sends us up the chart, and we really appreciate that. You don't have to write anything in the comment box. You can literally write, Jack Newman forced me at gunpoint to come here and write this review. Five stars. He's a great gunman. You can write that. I don't care. No one gives a fuck. No one reads it. But the point is, is that that's just how algorithms at iTunes work. Please go over there and do that. And if you want to give us actual feedback to help grow the podcast, go over to Facebook and Twitter, and I will respond, and we'll talk about that. Do you think you disagree with me? I'm a monster because I gave the Witcher a six. Yeah, let me know. Uh, don't put Sean in it, though. He gave it a solid fucking score. <laughs> <laughs> One last time. From everyone here at the Movie Gang Podcast, thank you for listening. You ready for this? Toss a coin to your Witcher, oh valley of plenty, oh valley of plenty, oh... Toss a coin to your witcher, oh valley of anti. I don't remember any other words to this song like everyone else does. Oh no, here I got it. I got it. I got it ready to go. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, no, you're going to get it stuck in everyone's head. You need to stop. When a humble bard graced a ride along with Geralt of Rivia, along came this song. I don't remember anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Can somebody toss a coin to your podcaster? (laughs) (laughs) Tip jar!